Okay, got my book, got my tea, got my ottoman, got my blanket. All right, settle in for some uh, some nice reading. <clears throat> hey, David. Huh? <laughs> Graham. Yeah, we're recording tonight, right? The with you, Wendell. Here, I got a joke for you. You ready? Uh, uh okay. Wait, All you right. look kind of cozy, though. Do you, uh, do you need a minute to get into no, the swing? No, I'll just of record things? cozily. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good idea. But here, uh, here's a blanket. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <sighs> oh yeah. no, I, I can't use nope. that. I'm getting tired. Okay, right, hey, I'll give me it back. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah, okay. What type of dog breed is the best magician? What? A Labracadabrador. <laughs> Are you awake now? Uh, I'm. 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 Uh, I'm. Ri- I'm ready. Rip roaring and ready to go. Um, ten out of ten. Eleven out of ten. You said a labra cadabrador. Eleven. Yeah, labra cadabrador. Uh, six and a half. That's pretty good for. It's pretty good for a, a withy window joke. All right, you look cozy, but did you prepare a joke? Uh, well, we'll find out how this one goes over. Um, let's see. I'll do. Th- this one here in my joke Rolodex. What do you call a crazy space traveler? Crazy space. Well, I think any astronaut is kind of crazy. I don't know what. An astronaut. Astronaut? Yeah. <sighs> you know what? I'm just going to say it. Not as good as mine. <laughs> Five. Oh, fine. Whatever. You know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes like the ones you just heard, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And we are back for season fifth. Season fifth. Season five. Season fifty. No. Five. No, fifty. No. Not. Season five. It's just, I, think, I think five is the number we're looking at. <laughs> just just season stop. F- Your brain is having a name. <laughs> well, it's been four seasons and now one more. So that's f- five. Five. Right. Okay. Five. Yep. It's season the fifth season. Five. Right. Yep. Yep. Oh, boy. Uh, and uh, we got lots lined up for everyone this season. We've got yeah. more jokes, more stories. We got more snacks, more lazy words. And, of course, lots more guests. Coming up later in this episode, we are going to talk to a wonderful author named Margie Pruce. Her name is spelled, her last name is P-R-E-U-S, but it's pronounced Pruce. Not Prius. Not Prius. Not like the car. Or Pruss. No. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, David, I, uh, I, we were just talking about, this is season five. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm here now. I'll You're, say that. Yeah, I can see. I you. don't know if I'm going to do the rest of the season. Okay. I, uh, going to disappoint some people? Well, let me tell you. Not All me, right. though. We've been off for, well, that I know. We've been <laughs> off for, what, three months? Three months? Yeah. I've, uh, I've started a business. In you the started your own business? Yeah. In the, in the off season. I can't imagine how much you loved that paperwork. I, uh, what, paperwork? No, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Well, um, it's, a, uh, it's a store. Um, th- there's going to be a lot of them. Right now, there's... Um, a lot, of, a lot of businesses? There's going to be a lot of stores. Oh, okay. So one business, lots of stores. Right now, there's okay. only um, z- uh, zero of them. But um, but you have a plan. Listen to this. Okay. Bread, bath, and beyond. Okay? <laughs> this sounds right up your alley. Bread, I can't, bath, and beyond. I can't imagine anything more Graham 
centric. So you, I know what you're thinking. You're yeah. thinking this is going to be a Bed Bath and Beyond, but they also s- sell bread inside. I was thinking more like you're probably going to eat bread in the bath. Close. Okay. This is a business that sells. Yeah, well, you know what a bread bowl is with soup. Uh, yes, absolutely. Bread bath. So you it's bathe a, in soup. It's a no, no, no. It's a giant bread bowl. Okay. You fill it with hot water. Okay. And then you take a bath in it, but you could eat it when you're done. So, and I want to stop you here for a second because you spent a whole season making fun of me about the notion of hot graham crackers. And now you opened a business that is worse than hot graham crackers. No, worse is hurtful. (laughs) And open is (laughs) open is also might not be correct. You started a business. I'm planning it. I, I need some seed money. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah, so you can grow your own wheat because no one else will work with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. It's an. It's uh. It's a good idea. It's Bread an idea. Bath. Well, everyone I talk to says interesting, so yeah. I know I'm on the right track. Yeah. Okay. Like, yes. Interesting. In my experience, when people say that, they um, always mean you're on the right track. But yes. I don't. Nobody's giving me a check yet. But if the checks start coming in and you start seeing bread, bath, and beyonds all over, I'm, I can't do the podcast anymore. I'm going to be so busy and successful. Okay. And, you know what? I uh, if if that happens and I see bread, bath, and beyond everywhere, yeah, I'll find someone else. Okay. <laughs> If that happens and I see Bread Bath & Beyond everywhere, I'm going to be upset because that means somebody else did it because I'm going to lose interest immediately. I'm already yeah. bored The concept seems complicated. Mm-hmm. seems like a lot of work, even if you don't count the paperwork. <laughs> hey, speaking of good ideas, though, we have a friend of ours, you know, some, some people you know and I know that are helping make this season possible. Should we, I think we should tell the kids and the new families. Sponsor, new, new real sponsor. A new real sponsor, real not sponsor. Bread Bath & Beyond. Um, okay, here's the question. Do you think, Graham, that any of our listeners like knights, princesses, wizards, kings, characters like that? Probably so, yes. Because we've got we've got big news. Are they in bread bowls or or uh, I don't know, but you think that okay. make it, well, do you think well, that like makes people like them more or less? Probably less. Well, okay. well yeah, move on. So okay, our friends over at the Cersei Press, which is a company that you didn't start but you know well. Uh-huh. Um, they have a new collection of Arthurian legends. So the legends of King Arthur and his knights coming out this spring. It includes some of the most beloved King Arthur tales. So, you know, tales like the finding of the the, the, sto- the Sword of the Stone mm-hmm. and Excalibur. Um, but there's also some lesser known ones, like the tale of Balin and Balin, which sound like uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like maybe Tolkien got his character names from there. Uh, the Balin and, and Balin, they're, they're two brothers who accidentally fight each other. Uh, there's also a story about a young man who wants to be a knight but has to prove himself worthy, much like Graham with his business ideas. Uh-huh. Uh, even while a young maiden asks him to do silly things, this is a very special version of Arthurian stories because it's designed specifically for reading aloud. So it's got some questions that parents can ask if they want to, uh, and even some questions for for conversation at the end as well. So there's conversations in the middle, also at the end. It makes uh, reading King Arthur stories aloud simple and really engaging. So Graham... People can go find out about how to get this book where? It's out for pre-order. It's out for pre-order at circeinstitute.org slash store. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Yep. And you can see it there. It's highlighted. It's available for pre-order. I've taken a look at this manuscript already uh, because I happen to have designed the cover of this book. And I um, worked on the inside of it, on yeah, the actual pages. Right. <laughs> and one thing that's really cool um, and Cersei does this a lot with their books. They don't, it's not like over analyzing the tales. They give you right. kind of prompts and questions to think about yeah. um, to help make the story a bit richer if you want. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's pre, it's but pretty it's great. Also, just the great text of these great fun stories. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I love Arthurian stories, so I was excited to get to work on this one. And I think I don't know for sure. Don't quote me. I think it's volume one. There might be more coming of this and in future years. I want to just tell you that the cover that you designed, yeah, it's easily in your top one hundred cover designs. I agree. <laughs> I think it need more bread. Like <laughs> it needed more bread in yeah, it. We need more bread, but it does well, look for cool. volume two. You still have volume two that you That's can work right. on. Well, okay. If you guys like knights, princesses, wiz- wizards, lizards, maybe even, uh, if you like King Arthur stories, then go check this out. Or if you just want to see what Graham and I were up to over the last three months, because this was part of what we were up to, uh, check that out. So again, it's circeinstitute.org slash store. And if you don't know how to spell Circe, it's circle. Without the L. <laughs> That's right. C-I-R-C-E. But if you don't know how to spell at all, you can just click the link in the show notes below. <laughs> all right, Graham, that brings us to a very special segment here on the podcast, a segment that we have long tried to get rid of, jokingly, and the kids reject the notion of jokingly get, getting rid of it. Yeah. Graham, it is snack time. <laughs> all right, I've been waiting months to snack again yeah i know i i, I we, honestly haven't been eating candy i'm assuming we're just not allowed to snack if it's not on microphone uh i brought the snacks this time you did very uh, excited to see what you brought here so this is okay first up it's the drinks okay it's your it's your choice okay oh, I, I brought two dr peppers one is classic and okay. one is dr pepper's Strawberry and cream edition, which I've never had. I must, I doubt you've had it. Maybe you have. I haven't had it, but look, I have a cup here. Oh, okay. So we can, we can both, split. we can split. I think we should both try this Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Okay. okay. I like this. Let's try it. I okay. was just, I was going to make you either be adventurous and stick to it or well, foist it onto me. I, oh, you want to do it that way? Or you no, no, no. Try? Let's you split it. Try it? Okay. I do want to try it. I'm going to open it, but you know, we have, I have had bad experiences when <laughs> with sticky explosion with exploding sodas. One time we were driving. Did we tell the story before on the show? Yep. Yeah. We were driving in a root beer. Oh! <laughs> no! <laughs> one just exploded all over Graham. No. Oh, on the mic. Oh, no. What a bummer. I mean, it was great to watch, but what a bummer. Okay, I'm pouring the strawberries and cream. That's hilarious. You know that every kid listening is is just been there. If I only had some bread to mop this up with. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Here's the strawberries and cream. We're going to try this first. There you go. All right, let's see what this all is right. all about. Cheers. All right, do you think this is like a, is this like a spring thing or is this going to staple? Is this going to stick around? Oh, no. Wait, no? well, uh, hmm. So at first I thought that just tastes like Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And you did not seem to feel that way. No. And now I'm getting a lot of cream. But it's not like cream soda. There's definitely that artificial. Stra- it's not real strawberries. I think I think I lost a tooth. Oh man! Did that because you just had one pulled? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, this is too much. That is too. That is too much. Um, yeah, I'm. I don't know that I'm a fan. I don't know that Dr. Pepper's strawberries and cream is going to be sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> no, but they could. <laughs> I will change to. my tune. <laughs> <laughs> You'll even write a jingle for them. All right, and now okay. uh, it is uh, what? What we're getting beginning of April. Yeah, it's starting to become it's, Easter season. Yep. In fact, this is say. coming up. This episode is dropping the day after Easter, and Easter candy is. A big business. It is. There's lots and lots of different things. Most of it I'm, not very good. On a scale of zero to 10, how excited do you think I am for how, uh, for Easter candy? Uh, three. 
no. Nine? Zero. Eight and a half. Oh, yo, you love Easter candy. I just, I oh, but you probably candy, so. love Easter candy because you're not choosing what I'm about to show you. <laughs> oh, I'm counting on that. But maybe you will love this. But because... it's okay. I'm just going to roll it around in this large puddle of Dr. Pepper <laughs> no, on the desk avoid here. That. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's the lid. So you what? can read. Okay, I can't see it yet, but he's showing me the lid. It's Zachary, since 1950, Easter Bunny headquarters, Easter, cor- Easter corn. So it's candy corn, but Easter corn? It's pastel colored candy corn. Let's try it together and see if it okay. just tastes so like regular I'm going to take a blue one candy corn. and a yellow one. There's a green, this nice Kelly green color. Yeah, pretty much, right? Is it supposed to be different? Or is it just different colored candy corn? Well, based on the ingredients, I don't think so. <laughs> what is that, xylitol? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's, it's got honey in it. It's healthy. It's going to help your allergies. Oh. Also, egg whites. This is and nonsense. Stop there. This is gross. I'm fine with it. I'm going to keep eating it. <laughs> oh, and I got you something else. You did? Okay, great. It's special. You know, I'm really, truly, I haven't been eating candy. So I'm going to pass out. Oh, my gosh. What my is it? Describe it. This. this is a Peeps lollipop ring. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to open it up here. It's so, so it's, it's like solo a ring, wrapped. It's like a ring pop, but it's shaped like a, a tiny chicken. <laughs> I think. And it's not marshmallow, but maybe it's marshmallow flavor. I don't know. It says marshmallow flavored on the wrapper. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So they came in a four pack. I, I have you? three kids. So now there's one left, you and you get it. it. No, nope, uh, nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, um, that is, um, here we go. I can't just, like, chew this. This is You uh, just drank you, more of the strawberries and cream, so you're oh, fine no. with it. Nope. I, nope. I don't. Does it taste this. like a peep? That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what did we learn today? Easter candy can go horribly wrong. Yeah, it's a little weird. Strawberries and cream sodas that are supposed to be uh, cola flavored. Uh, we got Halloween candy that's been dyed a different color. And we have a marshmallow uh, peep pop that's hard. Yeah. So See, that's what the are thing. they doing? This With is a insanity. peep, you expect it to be like that soft marshmallowy texture, which is the only redeeming characteristic. I don't like peeps no, in they the first place. Good, so they are good. But, you know, I do like, um, you know, like the Cadbury eggs. I mean, not maybe like. Oh, yeah. As we're going to learn in a future episode on this podcast, maybe they're, they're not what they used to be. They might be slipping. My grandmother send, used to send us fudge eggs from this wonderful candy place called Seas Candy up in Wisconsin. Oh. And they're really big. Yeah. They're like bigger than a real egg. You know, they're like a giant. And we, we'd slice them in little thin slices and eat them that way because they're really rich. No, you lost me on that one. Okay, you just put the whole thing in your mouth and you eat it like okay. a snake. Sounds good. Yeah. Like a snake. Yeah. Oh, like a snake. Like a snake egg. eating an egg. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Not like how you would eat a snake. <laughs> no, but I mean... Like a snake. No, if you're eating a snake, you're going to slice it really thin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Graham. Well, I appreciate you bringing the snacks this week. I don't know that this was what I would consider a rousing success, well, but it was a, a good experiment. I would think it's a success for what I was going for. Sure. You were I trying knew to... this was not going to go over particularly well. But I am also going to eat another one of these uh, candy corn. Are they supposed... Do you think they're supposed to be like cotton candy... I, they taste exactly like... They just taste like candy corn. Like regular candy corn. But your eyes tell you, like, this should taste different. Yeah, like, your eyes tell you that this yellow one should have, like, a lemon vibe. Maybe we should cut them into thin slices and... 
or we could eat them like snakes. You know what? We'll try both while they're in the break, and then we'll come back and let people know what happens. Okay, we are back, and it is time for for lazy words. It's it's Graham's, you know, it's Graham's um, special segment. Brainchild. Brainchild. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, by the way, we uh, the the candy eating. Yeah. You know, snake style didn't really change the experience much. So no. we don't have a lot to say on that. But no. uh, okay, Graham, take it away. Lazy word. Okay, this season, kicking it off. Okay, okay. so imagine yep. um, you're cooking. Imagine it's, a, uh, let's, let's say, 2000 BC. Okay. Uh, and you uh, have just killed a boar. And uh, okay. you're, you're, looking to, you're looking to cook it up. I mean, right. I just do that regularly. Right. Um, and, like and, dog so, out and go hunting. And so you, you, you gather your kindling, you make your yep. fire, your yep. cooking meat over there, yep. right? Okay. Eventually, we, we invent uh, the stove. You so and we, me? Yeah, we do. Okay. We're, we're time traveling through this. Yeah. Uh, we invent the stove. We've okay. got our, um, start putting the fire inside, you know, like the, the, this oven contraption metal, yep. Yep. heating it up. Eventually, we get electricity. Yep. Okay. And then... We invent a box. Okay. And this box, all right, this box heats and cooks food by exposing it to electromagnetic radiation in a certain frequency range and cooks things in what's known as dielectric heating. I know what it is. Uh huh. An air fryer. No, 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 no. Back up. Oh, Back not up. that Back new? Oh, okay. Too. Oh, okay. Of course, I'm talking about the microwave. Mm. So, the microwave cooks things with microwaves. It, yes, it so does. So, we've decided... To, to call it. To call it. Now, now, granted, you could say the microwave oven, still not good. <laughs> and nobody says that. <laughs> True. They say put it in the microwave. They say put it in the device named after the, the wave, and we're good with that name, and we're good with that method of cooking yeah all right yeah yeah i see what you're saying i see what you're saying it's a box that does some sort of science that like should blow everybody's mind and they don't even give it a proper name they just call it by the waves that hit the food why do you think they're called microwaves in the first place i got i'm not a scientist we need a science guy to we need at least somebody who's pretending to know that would be fun because they're small energy waves that you can which is still lazy so, so small you can't surf do on you it. have a solution no no i i have not i've been so upset about it that i can't even think <laughs> i can't i can't <laughs> propose anything for three months it's a box that does magic but we can't even give it a proper name we just call it the microwave it's not great it's bad mm, it's it's, yeah. it's bad form for all of us we need a we need to step up yeah 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 okay so kids we need the kids are the ones that are always the best at solving. You this. need to send us a new name. For, solve the problem. Solve this problem. Send in a new name for the microwave, and you would send us an email at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Perfect. Yeah, we have some other some other ideas up our sleeve for some ways you can get in touch with us that we'll be revealing later in the season. But uh, you know, for now, podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. You know what? People have been sending us pigeons. I don't know if you knew this. We, we just assume we haven't got any. I was cleaning out Gargle, Garglehauser's lair. Yeah, 
Why would if, you do that? Well, because I was hearing... Five minutes later, it's going to be... I was hearing peeps and cheeps. Oh. And I go in. There's a hundred pigeons in there, all tied with notes tied on his leg. I, uh, we've been getting old riddle answers. He's, well, that explains so many questions that we've had. So we can't... He's, he must snatch them up before... We even see him. Luckily, he doesn't eat them. Our mailman must come really early. I don't know what he's doing. Plucking their feathers? Using them for a bed? I don't know. I mean, what did bookstore trolls do? I guess they... Who knows? I've never asked. I don't know. They looked healthy enough. Anyway, (laughs) I let him out. So now Concord has a pigeon problem. (laughs) Well, you know what? (laughs) So it goes. Hey, we're becoming a big city now. That's what you get for for being the city where a podcast like Witty Windle started. (laughs) (laughs) And don't you forget it. All, <laughs> All right. right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of Lazy Words, Graham. Thank you for uh, brainchilding this segment. Uh, but that's the end of this segment's segment. Story time. Now, this is the uh, segment where one of us shares an exciting story from somewhere in the world written at some point by some human with the other one of us. So, for example, this week, Graham has brought a story, and I don't know what he's about to read. This story is called The Boy Who Wanted More Cheese. This story is about me. And this is, not, ca- this is not a folktale from Wisconsin. <laughs> this, is, this is a Dutch folktale. I'll believe it when I hear... Well, that's kind of the same thing. William Elliot Griffiths. Okay. Klaus von I thought you were going to say clogs to start. I mean, maybe it's because it's Dutch, but okay. Clogs. All right. All right. Uh, Klaus von Bommel was a Dutch boy, 12 years old, who lived where cows were plentiful. Okay. He was over five feet high, weighed 100 pounds, and had rosy cheeks. So picture any Dutch person. You've got it. You got it in your head. Are all Dutch people about that, roughly that size? They're about yay wide and tall. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, his appetite was always good, and his mother declared his stomach had no bottom. His hair was of a color halfway between a carrot and a sweet potato. <laughs> What's the difference? They're between... both orange. It's uh, <laughs> great. You have to have like that's like a very motherly thing to say. It's a very specific shade. It was as thick as reeds in a swamp. That doesn't seem nice, but okay. And was well, cut. You notice it's not the mom. And saying was that. cut level. From under one ear to the other. He's got a bowl cut. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got it. Klaus stood in a pair of timber shoes that made an awful rattle when he ran fast to catch a rabbit or scuffed slowly along to school over a brick road of his village. In summer, Klaus was dressed in a rough blue linen blouse. In winter, he wore woolen breeches as well as coffee bags. Nope. As wide as coffee bags. Still strange. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, he wore the coffee bags. Well, unusual. I'm assuming like a big sack, like a coffee sack. I could see you wearing coffee bags. Well, yeah, fair. Uh, they were called bell trousers, and in mm. shape were like a couple of cowbells turned upwards. These were buttoned onto a thick, warm jacket. We're getting a lot of description. Yeah, a lot from of clothes going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until he was five years old, Klaus was dressed like his sisters. Then on his birthday, he had boys' clothes with two pockets in them, in which he was proud enough. Did the girls' clothes only have one pocket? Must have. Or zero. Mm. Mm. It seems to be a, a problem. Anyway, uh, Klaus was a farmer's boy. 
He had rye bread and fresh milk for breakfast. At dinner time, besides cheese and bread, he was given a plate heaped with boiled potatoes. Into these, he plunged... He first plunged a fork and then dipped each round white ball into a bowl of hot melted butter. Very quickly, then, did potato and butter disappear down the red lane. Oh, that means he ate them. Down the red lane. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, At supper, he had bread and milk left after the cream left after the cream had been taken off with a saucer to make butter. Twice a week, the children enjoyed a bowl of bunny clabber, or curds, with a little brown sugar sprinkled on the top. Sounds like it. Cheese curds with brown sugar? Probably not fried, though. Yeah, still. Uh, But at every meal, there was cheese, usually usually in thin slices, which the boy thought not thick enough. (laughs) When Klaus went to bed... He usually fell asleep as soon as his shock of yellow hair touched the pillow. Wait a second. They changed it on us? Well, do they have yellow carrots and yellow sweet potatoes in, in Deutschland, Dutchland? Great question. Probably no. Doesn't sound like it. Uh, this is an inconsistent likely. story here. The Dutch. He usually fell asleep as soon as his head hit the pillow. In summertime, he slept till the birds began to sing. In winter, when the bed felt warm and Jack Frost was lively, he often heard the cows talking in their way before he jumped out of his bag of straw, which served as his mattress. The Van Bommels were not rich, but everything was clean. There was always plenty to eat at the Van Bommels' house. Stacks of rye bread, a yard long and thicker than a man's arm, stood end on end in the corner of the cool stone-lined basement. The loaves of dough were put in the oven once a week. Baking time was a great event at the Van Bommels, and no men folks were allowed in the kitchen on that day, unless they were called in to help. As for the milk pails and pans, filled or emptied, scrubbed or set in the sun every day to dry, and the cheeses piled up in the pantry, they seemed sometimes enough to feed a small army. So they're not rich, but they got like tons of, that sounds like great, delicious food. Got maybe like a hobbit. Okay. So guess what? I just looked it up. Yeah. And until the 17th century, yes, the Dutch grew yellow carrots, white, yellow, white, and purple carrots. Ah, then in the 17th century, they were the ones that invented orange carrots. What? You invent an orange? Well, carrot. I guess what they, they just doing? or or they or they popularized it. They cultivated orange carrots as a tribute to William of Orange. Anyway, carry on. That's fascinating. Uh, but Klaus always wanted more cheese. In other ways, he was a good boy, obedient at home, always ready to work on the cow farm, and diligent in school. But at the table, he never had enough cheese. Sometimes his father laughed and asked him if he had a well or a cave under his jacket. Oh, his dad's Good old funny. dad joke. Oh, uh, Was I had a hollow leg. <laughs> Klaus had three younger sisters, uh, Trintje, Anneke, and Sartje, which I, none of those I'm pronouncing right. Uh, which is Dutch for Kate, Annie, and Sally. All right, we're going with those. Kate, Annie, and Sally. There you go. These, their fond mother, who loved them dearly, called her orange blossoms. But when at dinner, Klaus... Yeah, the yellow too. <laughs> Klaus would... <laughs> uh, Klaus would... Probably. Klaus would keep on <laughs> dipping his potatoes in the hot butter while others were all through. His mother would always laugh and call him her little buttercup. But always Klaus wanted more cheese. When you... <laughs> 
When unusually greedy, she twitted him as a boy worse than butter and eggs. That is, as troublesome as the yellow and white plant, called toad flax. <laughs> very pl- pretty, but nothing of, but a weed. A lot of plant stuff going on here. <laughs> it's a very didactic fairy tale. It's it like, is a bit. It's like teaching the entire history of the Dutch uh, <laughs> uh, uh, wardrobe and cultivation. <laughs> like the whole history of Dutch, Dutch culinary arts. <laughs> One summer's evening, after a good scolding, which he deserved well, Klaus moped and, almost crying, went to bed in a bad humor. He had teased each one of his sisters to give a bit of their, give him a bit of their cheese, and this, added to his own slice, made his stomach feel as heavy as lead. Klaus's bed was up in the garret. When the house was first built, one of the red tiles on the roof had been taken out, and another one made of glass was put in its place. That sounds nice. In the morning... This gave the boy light to put on his clothes, and at night, in fair weather, it supplied air to his room. A gentle breeze was blowing from the pine woods on the sandy slope not far away, so Klaus climbed up on the stool to sniff the sweet piney odors. He thought he saw lights dancing under a tree. One beam seemed to approach his roof hole, and coming nearer, played around the chimney. Then it passed to and fro in front of him. It seemed to whisper in his ear as it moved by. It looked very much as if... A hundred fireflies had united their cold light into one lamp. Then Klaus thought that the strange beams bore the shape of a lovely girl, but he only laughed at himself at the idea. Pretty soon, however, he he thought the whisper became a voice. Again, he laughed so heartily that he forgot his moping and the scolding his mother had given him. In fact, his eyes twinkled with delight when the voice gave this invitation. There's plenty of cheese. Come with us. I could have said that so creepy. I, I just decided not to. When any, uh, whenever anybody says that to you, definitely go. <laughs> to make sure of it, the sleepy boy now rubbed his eyes and cocked his ears. Again, the light bearer spoke to him. He cocked his ears. Does that mean he's like cocked his head, or yeah, does that mean he yeah, can like, like wiggle? His, can like you wiggle, can you wiggle your ears? No. Can you? No. 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 Yeah. And the voice spoke to him again. Come. Could it be? He had heard old people tell of the ladies of the wood that whispered and warned travelers. In fact, he himself had often seen the fairy's ring in the pine woods. To this, the flame lady was inviting him. Again and again, the moving, cold-lighted circle around the red roof tile, red tile roof, which the moon, then rising and peeping over the chimneys, seemed to turn into silver plates. As the disk rose higher in the sky, he could hardly see the moving light. That had looked like a lady, but the voice, no longer a whisper at the first, was now even plainer. There's plenty of cheese. Come with us. Plenty of cheese. <laughs> we'll see what it is anyhow, said Klaus. I mean, he's a reasonable guy. Reasonable fellow here. Yeah, I mean, As what he else are you going to do? Ignore it? Never. Uh, are you a cheese guy? Under, we'll talk about that later. Okay. The story's too long for this. Okay, sorry. As he drew on his thick woolen stocking, stockings and prepared to go downstairs and out without waking a soul. Oh, that's smart. Put on the thick socks and be quiet oh. as you sneak out of the we house. Yes. We don't want to teach kids how to be sneaky. Well, what are you doing, Graham? I mean, nothing. <laughs> Never mind. Don't do that, guys. Just then the cat purred and rubbed against his shins. He jumped, for he was scared. But looking down for a moment, he saw the two balls of yellow fire in her head and knew what they were. Then he sped to the pine woods and toward the fairy ring. What an odd sight. At first, Klaus thought that it was a big... A circle of big fireflies. Then he saw clearly that there were dozens of pretty creatures, hardly as large as dolls, but as lively as crickets. They were full of light. 
as if lamps had wings. Hand in hand, they flitted and danced around the ring of grass, as if this was fun. As if this was fun. (laughs) Who could imagine that? (laughs) Hardly had Klaus got over his first surprise, then... Of a sudden, he felt himself himself surrounded by the fairies. Some of the strongest among them had left the main party in the circle and come to him. He felt himself pulled by their dainty fingers. One of them, the loveliest of all, whispered in in his ear, Come, you must dance with us. Then a dozen of the pretty creatures murmured in chorus, Plenty of cheese here! Plenty of cheese here! The cheese dance. Upon this, the the cheese ball. Upon this, the heels of Klaus seemed as light as a feather. In a moment, with both hands clasped in those fairies, he was dancing in high glee. It was as much fun as if he were at the Kermis with a row of boys and girls hand in hand, swinging along the streets, as Dutch maids and youths do during Kermis week. Klaus had not time to look hard at the fairies, for he was too full of the fun. He danced and danced all night until the sky in the east began to turn, first gray and then rosy. Then he stumbled down, tired out, and fell asleep. His head lay on the inner curve of the fairy ring, with his feet in the center. (laughs) Klaus felt very happy, for he had no sense of being tired and did not know he was asleep. He thought his fairy partners who had danced with him were now waiting on him to bring him cheeses. With a golden knife, they sliced them off and fed the him out of their own hands. How good it tasted. He thought he could and would eat all the cheese he had longed for all his life. There was no mother to scold him or dad to shake his finger at him. How delightful. But by and by, he wanted to stop eating and rest a while. His jaws were tired. His stomach seemed to be loaded with cannonballs. He gasped for breath, but the fairies would not let him stop. For Dutch fairies never get tired. Flying out of the sky from the north, south, east, and west, they came bringing cheeses. They dropped down around him until the piles of the round masses threatened first to enclose him with a wall and then to overtop him. There were the red balls from the Edam, the pink and yellow spheres from Gouda, and more. Down through the vista of sand in the pine woods, he looked, and oh, horrors, there were the tallest and strongest of the fairies rolling along the huge, round, flat cheeses from France. <laughs> Any one of these was as big as a cartwheel and would feed a regiment. <laughs> the fairies trundled the oh, heavy discs. The terror of the story that they're bringing in the French cheeses? Yes. <laughs> they shouted hilariously, as with a pine stick, they beat them forward like boys of play. <laughs> Farm cheese, factory cheese, Alkmaar cheese, and to crown all, cheeses from Limburg, which Klaus never could bear because of its strong odor. And soon the cakes... say, there better be a stinky cheese in there. Yeah. Soon the cakes and balls were heaped so high around him that the boy, as he looked up, felt like a frog in a well. He groaned when he thought of the high cheese walls were tottering to fall on him. And then he screamed, but the fairies thought he was making music. They, not being human, do not know how the boy feels. Well, that seems rather, I mean... Wait, that's the end? No, but oh. I'm just, as an aside, you invite a boy to a cheese party and then, and then throw cheese all around him, and you don't even know how... Anyway. Yeah, not very good being a good, very good host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At last, with a thick slice in one hand and a big hunk in the other, he could eat no more cheese. Though the fairies, led by their queen, standing on one side or hovering over his head, still urged him to take more. At this moment, while being... While afraid that he would burst, Klaus saw the pile of cheeses as big as a house topple over. 
the heavy mass fell inward upon him. With a scream of terror, he thought himself crushed as flat as a Friesland cheese. <laughs> but he wasn't. Waking up and rubbing his eyes, he saw the red sun rising on the sand dunes. Birds were singing and cocks were crowing all around him in chorus as if saluting him. Just then, also the village clock chimed out the hour. He felt his clothes. They were wet with dew. He sat up to look around. There were no fairies, but in his mouth was a bunch of grass, which he had been chewing. Klaus never would tell the story of this night with the fairies, nor has he yet settled the question of whether they left him because the cheese house of his dream had fallen over or because of daylight had come. The cheese house of his dream. The cheese house of his dreams. Is the name. What, of the of band my, we're starting? Of the band, of the new company that you're yeah. starting. Oh, yeah. Well, forget Bread, Bath, and Beyond. I'll never forget <laughs> Bread, Bath, and Beyond. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> this was an interesting story. I liked how Dutch it was. But really, was it ultimately just French? <laughs> is it French propaganda? Yeah, is it? It might be. It might be. I, I like that one a lot. I did too. I I've never that. heard of it before. And really, can, can, there's, can you ever have too much cheese? In my book, no. You didn't answer whether you're a cheese guy, though. Well, I, uh, sometimes. I'm not like, just cut me, uh, cut me some of that cheese. You don't like a cheese board? I don't. like a variety of cheeses? I don't like the, 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 I think it's the strength of, of them and like all put next to each other. Like it's they make little, you work too hard? Mm-mm. I make my oh, nose like, oh, it's oh. like assault. It's oh. like an assault. Okay. Than, yeah. Okay. Well, Graham, thank you for bringing us the story this week. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to introduce the kids. I was going to say introduce you, but you already met her. Introduce the kids and everybody else who's listening to Margie Price, this week's guest. Be right back. Okay, Graham, up next is our interview with Margie Price, but before that, we need to tell the kids about another sponsor that is making this episode possible. Uh, we already did that. No, we, we already got, did the sponsor. We got another one. We had two sponsors? Two sponsors for this episode. And they're both real. Uh, yeah, they're both real. Yeah, I, I didn't make this up. Okay, it's, it's a book, okay? It's another book. Shocker. Okay, ready? Yeah. It is called Out of the Shadow World. Okay. Okay. I'm in. So here's, here's the scenario. 10-year-old Pax Jackson doesn't know if he'll make it to his next birthday because he's, well, he's sick. Mm. He's about to embark on an unforgettable adventure. At their favorite climbing tree, Pax and his best friend meet Wilmer, a comical bellbird who introduces them to a magical realm of delightful and bewitching creatures. They sail a vast sea, navigate a frightening forest, and summon a perilous mountain in search of a mysterious woman who might be able to heal him. Will they be thwarted by a malevolent weeping willow, a horde of bumfuzzles, or the dragon snake? The kids face their fears and the lurking evil that threatens to destroy them. And they also contend with their own inner struggles. So, will the mysterious healer meet their dreams and expectations? Pax and Janie return to their world with newfound joy and hope in a keen awareness of the very real magical world that lies within their shadow world. The author's name is Colleen Chow, and she masterfully weaves a tale of suffering and joy. And we think children will be captivated by this story. So, it comes out, here's the deal. It comes out May 2nd. Mm -hmm. 2023. So it's coming out in a few weeks. It's for kids roughly ages 8 to 12 or families who want to read aloud. And it's available at moodypublishers.com or wherever you get books. 
Moody Publishers. M O O D Y Publishers.com. It's called Out of the Shadow World. It's by Colleen Chow. It's a it's a new uh, fantasy story. I believe we talked about them before. Did. Didn't they publish the Tree Street Kids as they well? They did. They did. They've been good partners of the show. And they're helping, they really truly are helping make this podcast possible. So if you're interested in discovering a new book that seems like it's about some difficult things, but deals with them in an original and, uh, and helpful way, then go over to moodypublishers.com and check out Out of the Shadow World by Colleen Chow. Do you have any in the store yet? No, no it's pre-order. It's May 2nd. It's pre-order, pre-order. right okay. now. Yeah. Soon yeah. though. Yep. I can't wait. I'm all in. I'm all I think in. Pax you... Jackson is a good name too. I, as soon as you said the title of the book, I was like, "I'm, I'm there. Let's go." Uh, out of the Shadow World. Out of that the title? Shadow World. It's a great yeah. title. Moodypublishers.com is where you can get this book. Thanks to them for for sponsoring, and hope you'll check that out. All right, let's talk about Margie Price. She is, well, Graham. She's an author. Uh, I don't know if you knew that we interview authors here. I I had a suspicion. Uh, she is the author of, I'm going to just read some titles here for you and we'll tell you a little bit more about her. She is the author of most recently a picture book called Lily leads the way, but also a middle grain novel called windswept in, in a world where children are disappearing and, uh, the younger children who venture outside their windswept away, including our main character's sister. I've read that book. Um, we also have books like heart of a samurai which is uh, kind of for like 10 to 16-year-olds, uh, historical fiction. A story called The Bamboo Sword, uh, The Village of Scoundrels. That's a World War II historical novel. She's also got Mysteries, the Enchantment Lake Mystery series. Um, a book called The Littlest Voyager. She's got a book called West of the Moon. She's got a book called Shadow of the Mountain. She, plus a whole bunch of more picture books. So she is a great author. She's very inventive and creative. She's won a bunch of awards. She's from Minnesota. Uh, which means that she probably has some Dutch relatives somewhere along the way. You know what her most recent award is? What's that? Withy Wendell Guest Award. Withy Wendell Guest. That's true. She won the 2023 kickoff season five Withy Wendell Guest Award. You're right. What an honor for her. (laughs) There's no certificate, medal, or trophy associated with this award. But an overly long interview. (laughs) 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 But, But to be fair, we all had a great time, and I think Margie had a great time as well. So uh, you can go to margieprice.com to learn more about her. You also can just listen to this interview and please go check out her books. All of these books are really wonderful. Um, and you liked Windswept, right? I did, yeah. That's a, that's a like a, a modern fairy tale. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a great book. Okay, well, that brings, that, that brings us to the end of our description about Margie Price. It's now time for you to meet Margie Price. So here, meet Margie Price. Margie Price, thank you so much for coming on with you, Wendell. Thanks for joining the conversation and answering some questions. We are excited to chat. Well, I'm excited to find out what you're going to ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if you've ever listened to the show before, I think, and I think you mentioned that you did, then you Mm -hmm. might know what the first question coming is. You (laughs) you might already have a, have a preview or an inkling of that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so we've, we've been asking this question for uh, many seasons now, all the seasons. It was asked uh, of our first guest ever, and we just kind of stuck with it because the kids liked liked the answer. By kids, I mean the kids in our homes. Uh, Are you a Cheetos or Doritos fan, Margie? Well, I can I say potato chips? Hmm. No. Well, I mean, you you can say whatever you want. Yeah, (laughs) I would say between the two Cheetos. Okay. And I haven't eaten Cheetos for many years, but. 
just saying the word is making me decide to go and get some this afternoon. <laughs> so I think it's Cheetos. Do you like like the small crunchy <laughs> ones or the ones that are just full of air that make your teeth? I'm going to have to get both and do a test. That's mm. good. Mm. I'll let you know. Well, then well, here's a, here. You can get back to us and let us know. I yeah. I'll let you know. Um, okay, so a couple other food questions have always come up, and Graham, I'll run through these food ones, and then you can, you know, you can jump in after that. So we've got another classic question here, a classic Withy Windle question: Are you a cake or cookies person? Oh yeah, that one. I which one is homemade? Let's say that uh, they're both homemade. Oh, then I don't know. In this in this hypothetical situation, oh, that's difficult. Ch- whichever one has chocolate in it, mm. if it's a chocolate cake, okay. or a chocolate chip cookie. That's a toss-up right there. So overall, savory or sweet would be your your go-to for dessert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for well, any, I, I okay, in I general. have a bit. I have a bit of a sweet tooth, I guess. You see how she she did she like, sort of didn't want to admit that it seemed like <laughs> you're among no. you're among you're in good company. Yeah, you're in good company. You're among friends here. You're snackers. I can tell. Uh, well, you know. I would say it's for the for the show, but also it's just for real life. Uh, are you a coffee or tea preferred? Coffee. coffee. While you're writing, are you drinking coffee the whole time, or what's oh. what's that look like? Well, no, not the whole time, but in the morning, I drink coffee. Yeah. Sometimes in the afternoon, yeah. I have tea, but I'm trying to drink more water, as they tell us to do. So, mm. they, yeah, yeah, they keep saying that. Every yeah. year, it seems like they say drink a little bit more than last year. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's starting to develop gills over here. At what point does it get to be just too much? It's just big but... water trying to get their marketing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Margie, um, I the big water is just Coke. <laughs> Yeah, they own all. They own it all. Um, so, Margie, I um, I don't want you to have to go through your entire uh, bibliography and tell us all about all of your books. Although that would be super interesting. Uh, but I wondered if you wanted to maybe talk a little bit about Windswept or maybe some of the other newer books and just give the kids kind of a rundown of of the things that you are interested in writing. Yeah, well, for um, my previous novels have all been. Well, a lot of them have been based on the stories of real people and um, their real adventures and are considered historical fiction. And so Windswept, which is my newest novel, is really a departure from that um, because it's it is. I So I am told a fantasy. Um, I guess when I was writing it, I didn't think I am writing a fantasy. I just, um, you know, was writing the story of this young girl who lives in a a time which let's say is um, in another kingdom in another time as the fairy tales say. Um, And so it's not our time, but it is our world. And, um, and, and she is not allowed like all under 15 year old youngers as they're called in the story are not allowed to go outside lest they be swept away by the wind. And this is what happened to her sisters uh, seven years before the story starts. And so now their house is all boarded up and all she can see of the outside world is uh, what she can see through a small knot hole. And, you know, if you make a circle with your thumb and forefinger and put it up to your eye, you can see (laughs) what 
that's all she can see of the outside world for her all of her 13 and a half years. But then um, an invitation to a meeting is comes through that little knothole and she has to find a way out of the house and meet up with other youngers and they all set off to rescue their windswept siblings. So that's sort of the storyline. Mm. Well, and whether they will or won't, you know, you'll have to read the story to find out. Well, I, we think <laughs> it's uh, a fun book. We think it's a fantastic premise and it's a fantastic book. And Thomas agrees and he wants to know um, where the story of Windswept and Tagalog came from. <laughs> well, it came in part from the pandemic um, mm. when we were. This I started working on it, or at least thinking about it, in those early days when we were all just in our houses. And I started thinking about young people being kept away from their friends and a school and what that would be like. What if you had to do that forever? And mm. um, what would that be like? And And one thing that happened during that time was I started reading fairy tales again. I love fairy tales. And I think um, during those early days when we so much was unknown and it was kind of scary, you know, it felt like you didn't know what uh, what to do or um, what, what would be dangerous or what wouldn't be. Um, and I think fairy tales had a way of reassuring me that uh, the world it can be a dark and scary place, but if you pluck up your courage and act with compassion toward others and accept the gifts and advice that are that is offered, you can overcome all obstacles, even impossible ones. And I, mm. that seemed to be a message that uh, felt comforting <laughs> at that time. So well, I. I read a lot of Norwegian fairy tales because these are the stories that I grew up with. My father reading to them to us kids as um, um, when we were kids and then uh, translating as he went along into English. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they really became kind of ingrained in me, I think. And during the time he's reading in Norwegian, of course, I'm just letting my imagination go and picturing um, the, this world of trolls and um, witches and they're not called witches in Norwegian, but you know, the old thrones <laughs> and, and, um, and all of the magical creatures and the beautiful forests of, and mountains of Norway. Uh, Do you think it's possible that our bookstore troll actually hails from Norway? I've never considered yeah. this before. Well, yeah, of course, because that is one of the Scandinavian countries for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they all that's where they all originated from. Now, he might not be a first generation Norwegian, maybe true, uh, you know, the lines. Which uh, down he may not speak the language which anymore. Scandinavian country is the grumpiest. Because I think that's where he <laughs> <laughs> And is there is there any crossover between interest in books and grumpiness in Scandinavia or well, I think they're readers over there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um the grump why do you think they're grumpy? <laughs> no, just because our, our books trolls. Trolls are trolls. Well, trolls. I mean, trolls are grumpy because nobody likes them, of course. Mm. And you yeah. know, and misunderstood. Well, and there's good reason for people not to like them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a vicious circle, really. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt oh. you. I, 
some things just have to get solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, it's, this that was a long way of getting to the point of where the idea came from. So both the fact that we were locked in our houses at the time. And then I came across the story called The Three Princesses in the Mountain Blue. And mm. a Norwegian tale about three sisters who um, are not allowed to go outside of their house until their 15th birthday, lest they be swept away in a snow squall. And just before their 15th birthday, they uh, they get out. and they are swept away and they're swept away into a very long and complex fairy tale. (laughs) Um, That is, it's one of the stranger fairy tales actually that, that I've read, but um, all kinds of things happen in it. And I don't, I did not follow all of the different things that happen in that fairy tale, but I just used, that was just a way for me to get into the story. Um, was that uh, that fairy tale has got me started? So the, when your dad was reading, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask when your dad was reading these Norwegian fairy tales. I was well, you said. I guess he, you said he was going from the Norwegian language, but were you reading Dolores? Because I know Dolores has a beautiful couple of beautiful books of. Um, Norwegian fairy oh, the tales. Yeah, from- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I do remember uh, seeing those, reading those as a kid, and um, and I still have I still have those Dolaire books. I love them, the trolls and the Norwegian myths, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm trying to think. Leaf the Lucky is another one of their. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I just I was just curious because I really like those books. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this question is from Archie, and it kind of ties in here. We're talking about place. Um, He says, your books are set in all different sorts of locations. Uh, He names Montreal, Norway, Japan. Where did you grow up, and how did that inform your writing? Well, I grew up in a smaller town in uh, Minnesota, central Minnesota. I still live in Minnesota, but now I live on the other side of the state. So I live on Lake Superior, um, in Duluth and, um, and I, but I grew up closer to the North Dakota border and, um, it it was a, you know, it was a great place to grow up. I had a lovely childhood, (laughs) read a lot, used the libraries and, uh, that really fed my imagination, I think. And also, gave me a lot of interest in other places in other worlds. Um, Mm. even though, I was right in smack in the middle of the Midwest and you wouldn't think necessarily that I would engage with these other places, but I think reading gave me that opportunity to become interested in other mm-hmm. people, other cultures and other ways of living and life and, and even other time periods, which I you know have written about as well. But I, I think for me, writing is an act of discovery. Every, uh, every time I write, I find out things. And that's mm. one of the reason I, I mean, that is the reason I write is to learn things and to find out things. I like to do research, but also as I'm writing, I find out things uh, about myself, about how I feel about mm. things. And it gives me a greater understanding and I think a greater empathy towards um, other people as I write about their lives. 
Mm. I feel I'm living with them through yeah. um, the all the trauma and drama and um, difficulties that a lot of my mm. characters have faced. So one question we get a lot for authors is, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Was that something that was like from the get-go for you? Well, kind of in a in a little bit of a different way. I uh, I really started not writing because I didn't know how to write yet. But in kindergarten, I um, did not get the part in the kindergarten musical that I wanted. And same, um, you you too, the great disappointment yeah. to me. I haven't been singing since. What what was it? <laughs> you don't know. Haven't haven't sang since. Oh, you've <laughs> I, uh, it was Sleeping Beauty and I was pretty convinced that I was the logical choice for that part. And when it didn't happen, I, um, I decided, well, you know, if I made up my own plays, I could star in them. Mm. And so uh, that's, so I did, I didn't know how to write, but I knew how to make things up. And um, I started making up plays and just sort of explaining them to my friends, like, you're going to do, you're going to be this character and you're going to be that character and you're going to, you know, have a conversation or whatever. I remember <laughs> really, but I do remember that I did it all through elementary school. And once I learned to write, I would write these plays out and hand out scripts. <laughs> and we would coerce, I mean, we would invite our parents to come and watch them. And then in high school, I uh, wrote the homecoming skits. And in college, I got involved in a touring children's theater company and eventually became the director of that company and wrote a lot of material for them. And after college, I started a touring children's theater company that was a professional company. And we toured all around Wisconsin, um, performing for schools. And, um, and then I got involved in a a satire comedy company <laughs> <laughs> and uh, started one in Duluth and and uh, worked with them for a very long time. So I didn't really start writing books for young readers until my own children were taller than I was. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, so it's uh, it was a long it was a it, it was a long road, but you know what's interesting about it in a way, I feel like I've kind of come full circle back to those children's theater days because we used as a basis, I should I'm not gonna say any names because I don't want to get in trouble after the fact, but we used a lot of picture <laughs> books and as jumping off points, um, or sometimes we just act huh. out uh you know the stories that were in picture books. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So coming back to it felt very, um, it, it was just a pleasant reunion with children's literature. I like this. Mm, I like this mental cool. picture I've got right now of a five-year-old Margie um, <laughs> starting her own or deciding to write her own plays because you can't be rejected if you're the creator. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think we have to thank your um, kindergarten musical uh, director for rejecting you for that part because sounds like that spurred a <laughs> a life of creativity for you. Well, I, I tell you what, it made me very used to never having the starring role. And in in mm -hmm. high school, I was in theater, you know, in plays and things like that. In, in college too, and 
never once did I have the the big part. <laughs> well, let's it was always pretty wrong. Let's stay kind of in that childhood um, uh, timeline. Uh, what were some of your favorite books as a kid? Oh yeah, I um, like I said, I was a reader, and um, I actually think that some of my favorite books are what inspired me to write the books I ended up writing. So I love the Encyclopedia Brown stories and Nancy Drew, and I have since written some mysteries, which were Mm -hmm. inspired by those stories. And um, I like, I I think the, the book that maybe got me really carrying around a notebook all the time was Harriet the Spy. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I like Pippi Longstockings, and I, th- in fact, thought as I was writing West of the Moon, I thought of the main character Austria as being kind of a gritty Pippi, um, but having that same sort of tough, uh, resilient, and kind of upbeat um, attitude to life, and. Um, I'm looking at my books now to rem- remember. Um, Island of the Blue Dolphins was was a favorite. Oh yeah, and, and in fact, that book was the. So I went through a stage as a kid where I wouldn't read any book that had like an award sticker on it. Huh. <laughs> I think it was because I had read one or more that I just didn't think was very good, and so I thought, well, those you know awards obviously. <laughs> Chosen by adults, what do they know? And so I stopped reading them. And I think my, <laughs> my school librarian, um, I think she she got me to read that book, Island of the Blue Dolphins, and that turned me around. And um, so I, I I was back on the the wagon again. Yeah, because that was, that, <laughs> that won the Newberry. Right? Yes. Yeah. I, I can I can tell you that. Uh, as the owner of a bookstore, um, uh, adults do this all the time. If a book won the, say, the Pulitzer Prize or some award, or got picked up by a book club, there's a whole group of readers who just won't read them. Really? You have to convince them that they're still good, even if they got the award. Oh wow! Oh, that is interesting. I mean, I guess... independent thinkers and so forth. Oh, it's so okay. So they okay. Well, I to me that makes sense when you're a kid because you <laughs> that kind of. <laughs> that kind of judgment but i mean by the time you're an adult you should have read enough of a mix of books to know that (laughs) i know you think that's that's not gonna work for you well yeah i don't know so so you you, you've mentioned already and you're interested in historical fiction and that you've written several books of historical fiction where did that come from for you what what inspired that i mean did you just is it just the kind of the first thing that you were interested in or did it just kind of happen organically no honestly i did not know that i was writing historical fiction until somebody told me that and then it was like oh yeah i guess so (laughs) because what what drew me to the story the first novel that i wrote that was the real story of this real boy this first uh, Japanese person to come to America and um, it was such a fascinating story that and I 
you know, it was one of those things where it was like, why haven't I ever heard of this? Why haven't I ever heard of this person? Why haven't I ever read a book about him? Because, <laughs> wow, so many adventures. And, you know, I, this is, as I meant, just said, uh, it was my first novel. And I thought, I thought, oh, you know what? He has all these adventures and this book is going to write itself. It's just <laughs> all I have to do is write down what happened and it'll be great. Um, you know, it was, it was a real eye-opening experience to find out it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> so it, it took me a number of years, but uh, to, to complete it. But, um, but I, I think it was his story and his, amazing ability to rise above adversity and his curiosity and open-mindedness. And um, it just seemed like such an interesting character that I wanted to explore. And that, so that's really what started me on the story, not because I wanted to write historical fiction. That never occurred to me. Or not because mm -hmm. I wanted to write about that time period. I mean, that time period was... Ah, you know, I had to do so much research. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, and if I would have known that before I started, I, you know, it might have backed away. But I, mm. I didn't think about that end of it. And I do like research, but it was a lot. I had to learn all about whaling, which was very painful. Did not enjoy reading about that. <laughs> it was. I, I felt like it was like when you skin your knee and you don't want to have to clean it out, but you, you're you just going to have to. That's the way I felt about reading about whaling. <laughs> um, and, you know, just so much to learn about um, everything about that time. So, um, yeah, and then I, I, I don't know. And then I had, um, uh, you know, since that book did well, I think I got a little encouragement from my editor to think about kind of doing, you know, the next one, historical fiction, you know, maybe based on a real person and lots of action and adventure. And then I thought about one of my favorite books as a kid, which I haven't mentioned yet, which is Snow Treasure, mm. which tells how the, the kids in Norway smuggled the gold out of the country during World War II, when the uh, when the country was occupied by Nazi Germany, it's not it's not real true. <laughs> Let's just say the gold, true ish. The gold was smuggled out of the country. True, mm -hmm. maybe not by children on sleds. So mm -hmm. um, that part is fanciful, but it was a wonderful read. I loved it as a kid, and so that. That popped into my head when I was going to write my second novel. And I thought, oh, um, that is a really under, um, you know, lesser known area of World War II than some of the European countries. And maybe mm -hmm. maybe it's worth exploring a story there. And, I, and things just fell into place with um, connecting with this um, man in Norway who I ultimately ended up writing about in Shadow on the Mountain, who got involved in the resistance there as a young teenager and, um, you know, started out delivering illegal 
underground newspapers, and then he became a courier delivering coded messages on his bicycle and on skis. And um, he was made a spy while he was still a teenager. Hmm. So, and all this is true. So again, I was very, I, I was really compelled by the story, but then I met him and interviewed him and he's just the most wonderful that's so cool interesting lovely funny man and um and i just knew that it would be wonderful to write a story about the boy who becomes this man Mm. Mm. that's cool i like that book i and one thing i like about your books too is your covers they all have really cool covers (laughs) well that's you know abrams is a art book publisher (laughs) oh yeah oh that's a great point yeah, so these yeah. books, so the books that I've just mentioned are Abrams and um, Amulet books, and the, uh, but I like all of them. I, I like all the covers, which of uh, all my books. So, yeah, yeah, they look good on the shelf. Go Here, ahead, here's a question from Audrey. Uh, she wants to know if you could book wander into a classic book, such as Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, or The Secret Garden. Uh, which classic would you choose and why? And I'm assuming uh, it's not going to be Moby Dick. I, well, I will say this. Moby Dick is one of my favorite books. <laughs> it is wonderful. <laughs> Despite the wailing. <laughs> Despite the wailing. And I read it several times while I was writing Heart of a Samurai. Um, uh, but I, you're right. I wouldn't choose that. <laughs> Wander onto the prowl. Uh, well, it's interesting how a favorite book can be about something also very painful to read about, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, That's true. Yeah. What book? Um, wow. I like, I, you know, Wind in the Willows, maybe. Mm. <laughs> if I could. It's a good answer. <laughs> if I could be with, uh, you know, uh, um um, ratty and uh who's the other guy i think mole. Toad, mole. To- yeah. yeah the toad is the one who goes off in the motor car right yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so let me ask you this though you're in the world of wind in the willows are you an adult like human version of yourself yeah, right. or are you an are you a creature i think it would, on their level like an yeah I, I don't think it would work unless you were a creature yeah like yeah. a little um a little mammal of some sort perhaps a mink <laughs> oh there you go there you go That's good there you go all right Greg. let's do one more and then the quiz how about that uh, sounds good okay let's um you want to choose one or you want me you, to you pick it okay um all right let's you know let's ask this one this is from jesse and she wants to know if you've ever wanted to see your books made into a TV series or movie, parentheses, or maybe they already have been, she says. Uh, Would you like that process? Uh, yeah. Um, not yet. Um, is she going to grow up to be a filmmaker by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have any objection to it. Mm-hmm. Um I guess it is. I I have talked to friends who have had their books made into. Um, I'm just thinking about a friend of mine who had her books made into a TV uh, series and wasn't really happy with it. 
Mm. because they really changed so much Um, and not just changing things, but really transforming the uh, kind of the idea of it, you know? Mm. Um, So. Yeah. I think always there's, there's that danger that you see your work become something you never intended it to be. Yeah. But you know, at this point, I'm not very worried about that. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of risk that can go into giving up that kind of control, right? For for any kind of adaptation. But it sounds like Jesse really wants to see these movies, so maybe she will. Maybe she'll grow up. Yeah, yeah Jesse, get start taking some filmmaking classes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I guess it's good that that your readers want to see them come to life in in other ways, though, right? That's exciting oh, that is. they're yeah. that interested in these stories. It definitely is. No, and I've had a lot of people say, "Oh." I just I could just see the movie in my head while I was reading this, and uh, which is all you know. It's gratifying to hear yeah. that it's not uh, because that it means you did a good job. It's really visual, and yeah. they yeah. feel that they've they've had this visual experience as well as as kind of a mental one. And sometimes that's the yeah, best. That's really cool. That's the best movie. That's the best version. Um, right, the one that lives in the imagination. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Graham, speaking of imagination, let's see what your imagination cooked up for a quiz for, for Margie here. <laughs> okay, so Margie. Super stressful, yeah, I know. Margie, this is, yeah, this is very serious quiz. Um, so uh, I took inspiration <laughs> from your, your newest book, um, Windswept. Now, I'm not going to ask you questions about your book, but I am going to ask you questions about wind. Uh, okay. how big of a wind expert you really are how much research has margie done you could have done it on sweeping i thought about that <laughs> <laughs> margie i'm with you i haven't heard any of these yet so okay margie well, are you are, are you ready oh okay that wasn't just a general question like what do you know about wind no 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 i have five multiple choice questions oh, oh okay shoot question number one uh, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, so Midwest, one of uh, the beloved cities of our fair nation, has a nickname. Okay, and that nickname is the Windy City, uh, which it has held on to since the late 1800s. Okay, so why did it get that name? So here are your multiple choice uh, options. Uh, a, there's just a lot of wind there. B, Charles Dana editorialized that the city's politicians were full of hot air. C, option C, all of the city's power comes from wind turbines. Or uh, D, the city was founded by Winston (laughs) J.W. Windington, who ironically was an oil tycoon. (laughs) Well, I always thought that it was because it's windy there. Uh, because I don't know when I've been there it's you know it's like that wind gets funneled down those streets streets tall buildings yep uh, yeah. and I have been very cold there uh, because of yeah, that lake effect that lake effect went however the specificity of me <laughs> is making me rethink things <laughs> you, think you, you think we're going with B let's go with the B you got it oh. you got it Chicago is actually not even in the top 10 of the windiest cities in the country. But and you for, are right. It is very cold and windy there. So I don't know what scale so, they're using 
to measure this, but just for the kids who might not remember, can you repeat what B was? Oh yeah, uh, uh, somebody in a newspaper said all the politicians in Chicago are full of hot air, so it's very windy there, which is a great insult. All right, and then I like that they just claimed that they decided that, that was a compliment, <laughs> and it's going to be like how they think of themselves. <laughs> Question B. Question two, not question B. Uh, all right, scientists tell us that wind is actually caused by changes in air pressure, uh, which sounds boring, and I have my doubts. Uh, because everybody knows that wind is actually caused by, option A, that one windmill in Holland that no one can figure out how to turn off. Uh, uh, B, uh, the, a dinosaur sneeze that is still reverberating. Uh, C, the Johnsonville Kite Factory, who invented wind in 1789, shortly after inventing the kite and realizing they had put the cart before the horse. Uh, Or option D, uh, it is caused by Jeremy. Go. It's caused by, what was option D? Jeremy. Jeremy caused the wind. (laughs) Oh, just Jeremy. Okay. Well, those are all very good answers. <laughs> but you know, it's actually caused by a wind string. Do you read windswept? Mm. Yeah. Right. Knots on a knots on a wind on a string that you like. Fine, 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 fine. Mm. You got it was a trick question and you got it. I'm trying to trip you up. <laughs> All right, so... Untrippable. Question three. There is an actual wind festival, and it is located in North Carolina, our fair state. Um, It is called the Outer Banks Wind Festival. It is a week-long event uh, that happens on our coast. What is the main activity that attracts so many people to this festival? This is real. Um, I always have to preface. Uh, Unlike Jeremy. Is it A... Wind surfing competition, B, wind eating competition, uh, C, cloud wrestling, or D, wind blown <laughs> hair styling competition. <laughs> Again, what a many choices. Uh, and but in the interest of trying to win this uh challenge, I would say the silly thing. <laughs> You're gonna pick. You're gonna pick windsurfing. Yeah. All right. You. You're three for three. Okay. Good job. Good job. The untrippable. I know. You know what? I want to. I do want to mention though that one of the books that I read about wind, which is called Wind, and written by the <laughs> aptly named Jan Dublow. That's seriously her last name. Some people have a call. I think she was she was living on the Outer Banks when she wrote it. Oh. That's where I read about the wind string, actually. Well, I mean, I guess there's a reason that the uh, Wright brothers decided to go to the Outer Banks to launch their first ever aircraft. So, yeah, I think, you know, wind is part, part, part of it. So, all right, Graham. Can I say one more thing about wind? Yeah, of course. After I wrote Windswept, I learned that Minnesota, again, where I live, uh, was ex- experienced its windiest year on record, the year that I wrote it, and is again this year experiencing its even more windier huh. on record. So I think that was also part of the inspiration for the 
story back to the first mm. question was just how windy it was. It was terribly windy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that's not go- normal. And the the wind had seeped into your brain. Yeah. Pushed yeah. its way through. Uh, <laughs> just like this question. Okay. Uh, question number four. We all know the story of the three little pigs, how the big bad wolf huffed and puffed and blew down the pig's straw and stick structures. Uh, but they could not make a dent in the brick home. However, if the wolf came armed with heavy machinery, the tale might be different. So Margie question how many leaf blowers would the wolf need to <laughs> knock down the pig's brick house okay here's your options <laughs> option a just one just just one leaf blower uh b a baker's dozen that's 13 uh c 400 leaf blowers or d 2500 leaf blowers is this is this an actually actual researched question with a real answer I did. Th- That's a loaded did question. You just, I, did you just sort of think must be this many? <laughs> I uh, I did some math. I don't know if my math is correct. Oh. You'll have to take that up with my superiors um, if you get this. If <laughs> we'll see in the math we'll superiors, you in the might math get it department. right, and then we won't even have to address uh, <laughs> well, the factual nature. Uh, what? So, what was the last one? Twenty five hundred. Just think of a wolf with 2,500 leaf blowers taped together. Is the idea that they're all blowing at the same time? Yes. yes. Or you blow a little bit with one until no, it's dead? No, and then you... no, All at once. I, I, think it's, I think it'd take that many. Oh, my word. Yes, you're right. According to my um, scratch pad math, it is between two and 3,000 leaf blowers to knock down a brick wall, which the wolf did not have no thumbs and all. And that sounds very expensive. So, okay. Well, they- so this morning I was driving my kids somewhere and we drove past this nice, you know, farmhouse. And one of my kids said, I love that house. I would like to own that house one day. So then my other son said, he's six. He said, I like that one. I like brick houses. And then my daughter said, I would live in the brick house too, because the wolf wouldn't be able to blow it down. <laughs> oh. And that then we just kept going. That was it. Sand so. blower. Sands. You know, important yeah. things from children's books. That's exactly right. Uh, well, uh, Margie ran the table. Four for four. That is that is a rarity in these parts. Great work. Um, we do not have a prize for you, but good job. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll try to convince kids to read your books. I guess she does um, a lot about wind. I'm going to send you guys a, a, a little video of um, my encounter with uh, with a leaf blower. Oh, excellent! Oh, yeah, that has to happen. <laughs> you can't introduce that that concept and then not follow up with it. <laughs> well, Graham, I think that brings us to to our word of the week, right? Uh, it does. Yes. So, Margie, uh, we've mentioned it already. We have we have a bookstore troll who kind of haunts and taunts us. And uh, I, believe they each, call him a, ep- a, I believe they call it a frenemy. He's kind of a frenemy. A frenemy yes, a frenemy, yeah. And um, each season, he has been sort of responsible through his own uh, uh, nefarious uh, behavior, uh, responsible for delivering to us the word of the week. 
Uh, we did at one point create a word of the week dictionary, but then he he stole it, and so then we had to start paying him things to get it back. That was back in season three, I think. Last season, he actually hit the road, uh, was on a little adventure throughout the season, and so we had to uh, he he had to send the word of the week to us via telegrams. Um, he we believe he's back though, Graham. What's the situation with the word of the week delivery? Yeah, he's back, and um, he's back, and his friend the printer. Um, they're both living in the troll cave in the, in the basement. He's still not giving us the book back, David, but, um, he's not, he's not, no, they're, they're requesting things again. So I went down there earlier. I found a nice printed sheet slid under the door that said they wanted uh, a, a, a pile of lumber. So I, I've delivered him the lumber. I don't know. Oh, you did deliver. Yeah, I already, okay. I already took care of this. I'm way on top can't, of it. This can't, can't wait to get the receipt for that. So, and then lumber is expensive right now. Oh, I know. And then, uh, yes, yeah, I, I we'll talk about where that money came from later. And then, uh, so that okay. I, uh, he gave me the word of the week, printed it on a nice sheet. Here it is. Okay. Here you go. Okay. All right. I'm on. I'm opening the word of the week. Um, oh. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Margie, do you have something to write on? Yeah. Uh, do you have something to write with? <laughs> <laughs> okay you have both all right perfect um okay here is our word of the week and what we'll do is we'll take a quick minute here after after i read the word of the week to each come up with what we think this word means before we reveal what it actually is okay so here it is it is i do i will see if i know how to pronounce this ukelagon ukelagon u-c-a-l-e-g-o-n Ooh, how do you think you say this? U C A U U Caligon. U Caligon. Let's Ucal- say. Okay, U Caligon. We're going to go with that. So U C A L E G O N. Okay, let's take a quick minute here to come up with what we think this word means, and we will be back to reveal the truth. All right. Okay, we are back to reveal what we think Ucalagon means. Uh, as is usual, we will have our guest of honor go, and then Graham will go, and then I'll say what I think it is. And then we will reveal the truth. So, Margie, what do you think Ucalagon means? Um, I think it's a three-wheeled wagon that's used to transport extra wheels <laughs> to California. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it, you know honestly it could be that why not that yeah it's as, it's as likely to be that as anything else well i'll tell you why not oh, oh okay <laughs> i actually i feel i always feel bad disagreeing with the guests but i was watching late night tv and i saw an ad for this so oh, okay. i already know <laughs> so you it's a kind of medicine you, no it's a it's a brand new uh product from strum stop industries and uh it's a spray it's non-toxic but it's invaluable so if you're out in public and let's say a stray ukulele player comes up next to it you deploy a ukelegon um meaning spray them in the face with it and your ukulele problems uh walk away quickly um it does not work on like um harpists you don't want to do that uh specific to ukulele banjo players players seem to love it it's you don't want to do that so yeah do they have one for banjo players or bagpipe what about bagpipe players Oh, <laughs> I've gone. Yeah, that's you know the th- the reality is all these instruments are great 
in and of themselves, but you don't always want someone to you know, walk up to you and just start playing. Right. Yeah. You're, you're trying to enjoy your sandwich in the park and yeah, I can't count the number of times you <laughs> clearly players sit down right on my uh, bench. Well, you know, I thought it was a uh, coincidence that, uh, or interesting anyway, that, that Margie mentioned the, the book snow treasure about the, the children hauling treasure uh through the snow because i think uh eucalagon is is actually a type of bobsled that is used for hauling treasures long distances Mm -hmm. Uh, that's my but so i think margie and i are kind of on the same like it's a transportation thing right you're both Uh, equally wrong but yeah you seem to think it was uh related to uh violence (laughs) um so all right here's the real answer let's let's uh unfold the uh piece of paper here and okay so (laughs) Uh, okay this can't be english are you caligon this is so specific is a na- <laughs> it's a neighbor whose house is on fire <laughs> <laughs> we have a word for a neighbor whose house is on fire other than his house is on fire so if no. you called like 911 and call the fire department this is what you should say and they would understand i get I highly doubt that, actually. <laughs> but but on the other hand, it would be impressive. We have a Eucalagon situation here, sir. <laughs> Named after an uh, ancient Greek whose house it's be Greek, set yeah. on fire. Yeah, and it's been used in literature throughout the years. Wow. Never heard of this. Oh. Eucalagon. I wonder, what, well, I wonder you, what word I was thinking of. Put it in. Very, Eucal- Eucalaway. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, very few... Um, very few of these words that the, the the troll is giving us are words that anybody has heard of. I feel like that's part of his game mm-hmm. here. So it would make sense that it's, you know, he's to, ancient in some way. He's trying to expand our minds. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much like uh, Margie's books do. And speaking of that, what are you currently working on? Is there anything that you would be willing to share with us? Oh, well, I... I think part of the reason I was drawn to the idea of entering the world of Wind in the Willows is that I am writing, working on a little story, um, or actually a sort of a series of little stories about a sh- the shrew detective. Mm. So it's a little shrew who solves mysteries in the in the woodland, um, or occasionally in the human's house that is nearby which is very dangerous place to go of course as you Mm. can imagine um as they have cats and traps and poison and vacuum cleaners and (laughs) and doors that slam shut unexpectedly and that's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun um and let's see what else i have some other yeah i'm always working on several things so there's a lot of little things in the hopper but that's well. That's the one I was working on today, so that's in front of my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, every day is probably a little bit different too, as far as what's unless you're up against a deadline. As far as what's you know, your energies are being driven by, and your imagination is, yeah. is into. Well, I, I, I think I do have a deadline, but I, I don't know what it is, so I'm pretending like I don't. <laughs> oh well, that's great. I mean, it's not a deadline if you don't know what it is. Right. <laughs> hey. Exactly. It's just the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Graham. Last last chance for you. What's your final question here for for Margie? Oh, before so we let it go? Margie, I want to know if you have any um, 
advice for young authors out there, uh, any little bit of wisdom you would like to share with them? Well, I know they're probably tired of being told that they should read. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'll give a strange, a kind of one of my little, it's just a little weird tip to, if you're stuck, um, try writing with a pen on paper. If you're used to doing this, because it turns out that more Typing, yeah. parts of your brain fire when you're, mm. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I didn't make this up. This was a study. But what I don't know about the study is how old were the people that they, mm. that they did the study on? Because it seems to me that part of the reason I like to write this way is because this is the way I grew up writing. And with, pen. with a pen or pencil, or pencil yeah. on paper. And so yeah. I still like to compose that way. And then I type it into the computer and print it out and write on it some more. Mm-hmm. Do that over and over again. So I generate a lot of paper, which is not the best, but it's how it works for me. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, the other thing I do when I'm stuck is research. And there's always research to be done, even like writing Windswept, uh, which, which, as I mentioned, they, I've been told is a fantasy. So you wouldn't think you would have, to. <laughs> but um, like I read books about wind and wind. Yeah. yeah and, and, um, and lots of fairy, t- you know, really read a lot of fairy tales and books about fairy tales and mm. so on. But um, whenever I get stuck, I, there's always some research to do. And then usually that gives me a little kickstart to get going again. And I think that uh, research is good and writing with a pen is good. And those are my weird tips. Seems like good advice for authors of any age. Yeah. Well, Margie, thank you so much for coming on Withy Window. We had a great time and we've been looking forward to this for a long time. So really grateful for your time. Oh, thanks. I had a great time too. I'm now I'm going to go buy Cheetos. Well, thank you so much to Margie for coming on. That was that was a great conversation. She's very fun. Please check out her books if you want to uh, just go to her website. It's margieprice.com. We'll post that link in the show notes. And of course, you can find her at bookshop.org or if you want to buy them through us at goldberrybooks.com and then click on the bookshop.org link and you can buy them through our bookstore. Okay, Graham, that mm-hmm. brings us to the segment that we end every episode with. It's a bread bath and... Beyond Time. Presents Riddle Time. <laughs> <laughs> Bread Bath and Beyond presents. You don't want them as a name sponsor. Riddle Time. You don't. They, 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 they don't bring the prestige. They that don't. We not hope. yet. Not yet. Okay. We've opened one in every city. This particular riddle. Have you considered maybe it just being that you take a bath in soup? Well, sure. I mean, you could put soup in. I'll, I'll show you the business plan okay. later. All There's right. reasons for all sorts of things. Yeah, I'm but, sure there's some insurance questions. And I'm there. guarantee... You will say, interesting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll also say, interesting about the riddle that I'm about to read. Okay, Graham. Yeah. We, didn't, we don't have a new answer to give, but if people think they know the answer to this riddle, how can they send us? They would write us in at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. So think about that after you think about this. Okay. So... Uh, there's a there's a taxi cab driver. Mm-hmm. His name is uh, Bo. Bo. Yep. Bo the taxi cab driver. Like him. Bo the taxi man. I don't know what we call him exactly. He. Um, cabby. Yeah, cabby. Bo the cabby. Uh, he, he he lives in New York City, and yeah, 
He uh, he got his medallion. He got he, yeah. He got his New York City it, taxi cab medallion. It's very yeah. expensive. Yeah, right. So how's Uber affecting Bo? Uh, All right, let's move a, on. A little little up and down, but you know, kids ask your parents. Okay, so um, Bo gets he gets asked by one of his his clients to drive him all the way across the country to Los Angeles. Wait, hold on. Somebody's trying to hire him from New York to LA? Yeah, well, this person in New York doesn't own a car, and the airlines are too expensive. Okay. The and airlines the person, are too they're expensive. They're also afraid of flying. Oh, all right. So, you got me there. But okay. he, has, he, he needs to get to Los Angeles for a family wedding. Okay. The, 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 not the cabbie, the, the, the guy. The guy. He doesn't want to walk. His name's Charlie. He doesn't feel like walking across the country. He does not. Also, okay. he, he needs to get there in four days. That would take longer than four days. Mm-hmm. So, so Bo knows he's going to have to do this whole trip. Just He's only going to sleep a little bit. When he's not sleeping, he's going to be driving. He's got to get there four days, all the way across the country to Los Angeles. This isn't Bo Jackson, is it? It's not. That okay. I know of. Didn't ask I just him. didn't know if he... Uh, okay, so on. here's anyway. the thing, though. They make the trip. Oh. They make it there. Wow. Good job. But at the end of the trip, Bo discovers that one of his tires had been punctured. Mm. So given that one of his pu- tires had been punctured, how was he able to make the drive? Oh, yeah, because if you had a flat tire, you would have noticed immediately. Yeah, it'd be, it's hard to drive on a flat tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. Bo drives Charlie from New York to Los Angeles in four days. At the end of the trip, he discovers that one of his tires has been punctured. So how is he able to make the drive? That's this week's riddle. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of a hard one. It's kind of an easy one. I don't it's know. Kind of Bo. in the middle. Don't don't know Bo. <laughs> I don't know Bo. Well, help Bo solve the problem, guys. Send us your answers. What you think the right answer is going to be or is at podcast at goldberrybooks.com. And at the end of this season, we're gonna send a prize, a prize to a random book bundle to one of the people who got an answer right this season. Plus, you get bragging rights. Yeah. We know how comp- how competitive our listeners are about riddle time. They are. Riddle they time. are. And I am now flummoxed because I, I want to know the answer to this. It seems well, hard. Are you picking hard ones? No, no, no. It's not that hard. Okay. You'll have to wait till next episode, though. Puncture. To find out. To find out sure. Okay. All right. All right, Graham. That brings us to the end of this episode. This first episode of season five of With I Windle. <laughs> We're changing the name officially. No, with I Windle. With I Windle. Thank you so much to Cersei Press for sponsoring. Uh, please check out their new Knights of the Roundtable book. You can go to CerseiInstitute.com or .org slash store. Thanks also to Moody Publishers for sponsoring. You can check out Out of the Shadow World at MoodyPublishers.com. Calm. So please check them out and thank them for supporting this podcast because it would be very difficult to do it without our sponsors. Uh, thanks also to Bread, Bath, and Beyond for their prestigious acknowledgement of our existence. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> it's very... Oh, is this the tagline? Bready. Interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the tagline. Bread, Bath, and Beyond. Interesting. <laughs> All right, Graham. You know what? <laughs> that brings us to another end of another episode of Withy Wendell. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. <laughs>